Welcome, Redeemer Church and guests, and especially the ones, the folks that are joining us online too. Uh, my name is Stanley, if you don't know me, and I serve as one of the elders here at Redeemer. Uh, so Shannon was supposed to be here, uh, but last night he uh, um, calls me in the evening and says, hey, um, Sarah was running a temperature and so he wanted to be home with uh, and help out with um, taking care of her, and so he asked if I could step in and preach. Uh, so I, since last evening, have been putting together a sermon for us uh, this morning. And even though it's been a, only a short period that I have to, had to prepare, I think God has something uh, for us to. Uh, God has something for us today. Uh, the Spirit, I believe, has something for us from the passage today. But before we get in, dive in. If you are a guest with us, please fill out uh, this guest card uh, so we can send you some information. And if you um, have a prayer request that we can be in prayer with you or for you, please fill this out to and drop it in the box, uh, offering box uh, at the back. I believe there's an option to do that online too, so if you're online and would like to do that, uh, it would be our honor to uh, to pray with you and for you. So we are in the book of Mark, for those that have been attending or if you haven't been, we've been walking through the book of Mark and we are in chapter 8, or have been in chapter 8 for the last uh, week or so. Uh, And so we are in chapter 8 again this week. And so... We are in uh, Mark chapter 8, verses 20 through, uh, 22 through 26. It's a short passage, a couple of verses. But I think God has, uh, I think, shown me a couple of things in this passage that I think are important for us to uh, internalize and be reminded as we look at what Mark has to say. So let me read the passage and then we'll uh, dive in. So uh, Mark chapter 8, verses 22 through 26. And they came to Bethsaida. And some people brought him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees, walking. And Jesus laid his hands on him, on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, do not even enter the village. Let me just pray for us again before we dive in. Father, we thank you for this uh, passage and the word, the word that we gather together. We trust that your spirit um, is working among us. We pray that as your spirit goes forth with this, uh, with these words, that your spirit will go forth and do what it's uh, sent for. We pray that your uh, spirit will be with us. Uh, and that we will be obedient in the teaching of the words that we have. We ask all this in Jesus' name. I'm not sure about you, but as you look at this passage um, and kind of look at Jesus' questions in this passage, but also the responses by the uh, blind man, I think it's uh, a couple of things stand out to me, and I'm pretty sure it stands out to you too. Um, and so I think this makes it one of the oddest miracles that Mark has recorded thus far, and he's recorded a couple. Uh, some demon possessions, some demons running into pigs, pigs running over, a lunatic. So the, he, there's already been a, quite a few odd miracles that Mark records in, uh, up to this point. And I think we read another one uh, today as we look at this uh, uh, miracle in chapter 8, verses 22 through 26. The story begins normally enough, right? There's a, a, um, the disciples and Jesus are at Bethsaida. Um, they uh, are approached by people who want to see this blind man healed. Uh, the blind man comes to Jesus, um, and the uh, Jesus 
basically leads him, takes him by his hand and leads him outside the village, basically indicating away from the crowds, away from the people that brought him even, uh, and uh, spits in his face, in his eyes, and asks asks him, can you see? Or what do you see? Right? Now, I'm not sure about you, that's weird. If uh, you were to call the elders uh, at Redeemer to pray for you, that would not be how we would go about praying for you, uh, just in case you're wondering. Uh, But uh, Jesus here um, goes about it in this uh, fashion, and I think it uh, makes this miracle uh, somewhat odd. Um, That's only one part of it. The other part is Jesus asks a question he's never asked before to the people that he healed, that is, do you see anything? It's like... Was Jesus not sure? Like, what was, why was Jesus asking the question if he knew this man could not see? Well, the man says uh, in verse 24, and he looked up and said, I see people. So we see that he shows up to Jesus completely blind, but after the first stage, think of it as a two-stage miracle, he's able to see people. He's able to see um, now, while he didn't have complete healing, as we can see from the passage, or at least this verse, it seems like something miraculous has happened. Jesus goes about it in a strange way, where he opens the eyes where the blind man can see light, but he can't see clearly. Right? And so that makes this uh, passage uh, somewhat interesting, uh, looking at it in the context of the rest of chapter 8. So, um, when we look at uh, this passage uh, the second time, or when we look at the passage later on in verse 25 and below, Jesus further goes on and um, puts his hand on his eyes again, and he, and he opens his eyes, as we read in verse 25, and it says, Mark says, his sight was restored, he saw everything clear. And so, I think for us to completely grasp the story, even though it's only a couple of verses, I think it, it's important for us to look at it in the rest of the book of Mark. Now, as you can imagine, you know, um, for us to do justice to passages every week, we break the, you know, the different books that we uh, study into smaller passages and we dive into those passages and look at it uh, exegetically. But one of the problems, though, is when we do that is you sometimes forget that the passages we look at is in the larger context of uh, a story. Right? It is part of one book. Right? Mark was uh, one author writing a narrative for us, reporting the life and uh, ministry of Jesus. So, what I want to do today is to kind of do two things, right? One, I want to spend some time looking at the context surrounding the story. So, we'll probably go back a little bit in the book of Mark and go a little bit forward. Uh, and then I want to come spend some time in the story itself. And I think it will help us, uh, hang with me, I think it will uh, help us understand this narrative better. Now, you might get through half the sermon and be like, well, he's still not at the story. So, Hang with me. I'll, I think it will make sense as we kind of uh, walk through this. But um, so interestingly enough, this passage appears in the middle of two um, significant moments in the life of ministry of Jesus. Last week we looked at how he fed the four thousand, right? And they gather seven baskets of extra bread. That's the top half of the story uh, of this passage. And in the bottom half, if you look at verses twenty-seven and below, you see the climactic declaration by Peter and the rest of the uh, disciples where they state that Jesus is the Messiah, right? A declaration that we haven't seen up to this point, right? Uh, he, he, uh, Peter, after all of the teachings, all the miracles, and after all of Mark's 
um, recording that they didn't understand what, he, what Jesus was doing, it seems like Peter and the disciples finally understand that Jesus is the Messiah. Right? So sandwiched between these two, um, I would say, important moments is this um, kind of, in some sense, incidental story, or maybe, you know, you would wonder, it's like, is that a, just a, a filler? Mark was trying to fill the page. And I don't think so. I think it actually helps us understand the passages or the rest of the passages from here on out if we look at it in the context. Now, a couple of things as we look at this passage is, first, um, when you look at the book of um, Mark or the entire gospel of Mark, there's only two uh, blind man healings. Um, and one is this, and the other is actually at the end of chapter 10. Okay, so there's two um, two uh, healings of blind men, uh, Mark 8, which is what we're looking at, and uh, end of Mark chapter 10. And so um, we actually, if you were to read Mark chapter 8, verses 22, all the way through the end of chapter 10, you will notice a couple of things. One, you will notice that that passage is bookended by blind men being healed. And in the middle of that passage is Jesus' declaration that he is going to die that he is a savior that has come to die. And if you look at verses um, verses 27, he says, And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked his disciples, "Uh, who do people say that I am? And you see that Jesus has multiple of these conversations throughout as they make their way through Jerusalem, uh, where he goes, he will eventually be crucified uh, uh, on the cross. So I think if we look at it in that, in that fashion, it seems like these blind man stories are not just accidental. Mark is actually trying to help us understand uh, who Jesus is and help us get clarity of what Jesus, why Jesus came. And so uh, one of the things that uh, you understand as you look at these stories, and I, I would encourage you to go home and read chapter 8 all the way through chapter 10, uh, and I won't have time to uh, parse through all of it, but I think it, it, it will help you understand this passage a little better if you are doing it. I, I found it very interesting. I think you will too, as Jesus, uh, Mark records interesting aspects of Jesus' life and ministry here. But I do want to look at a couple of highlights here uh, that I think helps us understand uh, where we are. So when you zoom out uh, from Mark, you notice a couple of things. Right? Mark, uh, if you look, if you would ask the question, what is Mark trying to uh, do with the gospel that he's writing? What is he trying to do with the narrative that he's doing? Well, up to this point, he's been answering one and one, only one question, and that is what? Who is Jesus? Right? Who is Jesus? He's been trying to help us understand that Jesus is the Messiah. Right? If you look at Mark chapter 1, verse 1, that's how he starts. No genealogy, no introduction. He just says, this is Jesus. He's the Son of God. He's the Savior. Right? And up to this point... Mark has been trying to help us understand the same aspect or the same detail. All of the miracles that he records, all of the narratives, all of the teachings that we see, uh, we, we see that Jesus, Mark is trying to help us understand this same um, detail, which is that Jesus is the Messiah and he wanted the disciples uh, to wrestle with this. And Jesus, in all of his miracles and all of his teachings, was trying to show the disciples that he was the Messiah. Think back to the story of the feeding of the 5,000, right? That's chapter 6, a couple of chapters, if you flip to a couple of chapters um, ahead. Um, you will see in Mark chapter 6, in the feeding of the 5,000, what does Jesus do? He feeds, the, he feeds them bread, 
they have plenty of bread, pick up 12 baskets, and then, uh, and then that's the sermon I preached last, last time I was uh, preaching, which was Mark chapter 6, where we see Jesus going to the mountain to pray and sending the disciples to go to the other side. Remember that story? They get caught in the storm, Jesus walks on water, he appears to them in a God-like fashion and reveals to them that he is God. He identifies himself as the I Am, the God, uh, the Yahweh. And so he, 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 um, he is able to, he's trying to demonstrate to them this fact. Now remember, if you remember that story, you probably don't because I know you've slept uh, since then. Uh, but if you look at, it, that, at that passage, when I, when I went over that passage, I uh, had pointed out the fact that when the disciples had left where they were, they were headed to Bethsaida. But they caught up, got caught up in the storm and ended up in Gennesaret. Right? So it's almost like Jesus was like, you're not ready for Bethsaida, so let's go to Gennesaret. They end up in Gennesaret, we see the, um, uh, the healings there, we see the healing of the Syrophoenician women, and all of the stories up to that point. And then finally, as we reach this story, they are in Bethsaida, finally. They have reached where Jesus originally had intended to go. But as we look at the passage, and as we look at all of the stories, what has been the Mark's uh, verdict for the disciples? It's been something to the effect of their hearts were hardened. They did not understand the story of the loaves. They did not understand what Jesus was trying to teach. And even after teaching, um, Jesus, uh, even after Jesus' te- multiple teaching sessions and multiple miracles, they still missed the point. Now, um, it's always you know, easy to look at the disciples and be like, well, I mean, why didn't they get what Jesus was trying to say? And it's easy to chide the disciples for not understanding. But, and I don't know what exactly Jesus was wanting to see from the disciples, right? Um, I mean, he, he obviously was trying to tell them that he was the Messiah, and somehow they were not getting it. But at the very least, um, if, you, if you, no matter, you know, even if you didn't get that Jesus was the Messiah, the one thing you cannot miss from both the bread miracles, like feeding the 5,000 and the feeding the 4,000, is that when you're with Jesus, lack of bread is not a problem, right? That's simple enough, right? But look at verse 16 of chapter 8. What, is, what are the disciples talking about in Mark chapter 8, verse 16? Uh, and we'll look at 16 through 21. I believe I only have 17 uh, on on the screen. But 16, in verse 16, it says, And they began discussing, and they referring to the disciples, and they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, verse 17 and down, says, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the five thousand? How many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, Twelve. And the seven for the four thousand? How many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to them, Seven. And he said to them, Do you not yet understand? Well, I mean, the answer clearly to Jesus' rhetorical question there is, no, they don't understand clearly, right? They don't understand who he is. They appear to be completely blinded to the reality that they were in the boat, that they are in the middle, they are in ministry with the promised Messiah. 
right? And so it's in this context, with this question echoing in their ears, that they land in Bethsaida, where they meet this blind man, where Jesus goes about healing this man in two stages. But we're still not ready to come to the story. I just want to look at one more uh, detail before we jump into the story. Let's look at the uh, verse 27 uh, through 30 briefly. And again, I won't, we will, uh, hopefully Shannon will look at this from, uh, next week. But I just want to just briefly uh, look at verses 20, um, 28 and 29, where Jesus, uh, Jesus uh, the disciples tell Jesus, and they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him. Obviously, Peter was the spokesperson, or self-appointed spokesperson in some sense, of the disciples. And he answered them, you are the Christ. And Jesus strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And so, again, we, we, it, it seems like Mark, after the disciples repeatedly not understanding that Jesus was the Messiah, in this portion, in this in Mark chapter eight, verses twenty-nine and thirty, we see Peter and the disciples finally understanding that Jesus is the Messiah, right? And that Jesus is the one that they've been waiting for. And so, um, when if you were to pay attention to how Mark uh, structures the rest of the book or the rest of the passage, you will notice something uh, interesting, and that is that Mark. With this story, seemingly short story of the healing of the blind man, pivots from the first question he's been trying to answer, which is what? Who is Jesus? Right? And that Jesus is the Messiah. That's the question he's been answering. And he pivots from that to a second question that the disciples are going to wrestle with, and that is what type of Savior is he? Right? The Israelites were expecting a political leader. They were expecting somebody who's going to rescue them from all of their problems. But Jesus goes to, again, between now and his crucifixion, repeatedly helping the disciples understand that he's a suffering Savior, that he came to suffer on the cross and to die for our sins. So here in this passage, literally at the center, if we actually look at the way it's structured, Mark is actually, uh, uh, this story is actually at the center of the, past, uh, center of the book of Mark. And Mark is transitioning from this question uh, that the disciples, they see the Messiah now, but they don't see clearly who the Messiah is. And we have this strange and often overlooked story here to actually depict this reality. I think this reason that this story is literally at the center of the Gospel of Mark it's because the story is the hinge at which Mark pivots. That the entire gospel of Mark swings on this story. And the point of the story is simply this. That the disciples are at a stage where they see Jesus, but they don't see him clearly. Just like the blind man. Now, the tension, right, as the, as the narrator, as Mark is writing this narrative, uh, what he's trying to do is this tension, he's trying to show the tension between Jesus' repeated teaching and the misunderstanding of the disciples. And actually, if you look at the story, going all the way to the end of Mark, you see that this narrative is actually not resolved. Mark is not interested in resolving this tension. Right? He just continues to keep it uh, brewing. And he uses a number of uh, ways to kind of demonstrate or expose the disciples' inadequacy. Right? And one 
uh, in, in this passage, I believe uh, the significance of this blind man's story is because Mark is using the blind man's story to demonstrate the inadequacy of the disciples' sight. He is demonstrating that the disciples don't see clearly yet. So, as you look at this, as you look at this passage, you're probably wondering, well, what didn't they actually get? Well, you have to come for the rest of Mark to see what Jesus is uh, trying to teach them. But, you might be thinking, okay, well, that's interesting. I like the context. It makes sense. What does this passage have to do with me? How does it apply to me? And what does the actual story say? So we're finally uh, getting to the story here, right? And I want to point out a few simple things that the story uh, brings out or jumped out at me as I was studying the passage, right? And so the first thing, and I mentioned this uh, last time I preached, but I think it's worth repeating. You see that the blind man is brought to Jesus by other people. Right, with all of the miracles that we see with Jesus, we see four groups of people. One, we see the disciples and Jesus. Uh, we see a group of spectators. This includes the Pharisees or people that are just following because they like the excitement of miracles. Third, we see the people that are experiencing healing. Right, the blind man, the leopard, the deaf man, the, um, the different people that come to him for healing. And lastly, we see a group that I think is kind of hidden within the, within the same narratives, and that is the people that bring the sick people to Jesus. And I think that is a group that I think we need to pay attention to. I think a lot of times, we, 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 when we look at this, these passages, we often wonder what our role is as believers. And I think the, the passage here and the, the people that, the group, the, this last group that I just identified are the group of people that I think we as believers need to be. We as people who have seen the light, who have given our lives to the Messiah, who call, who call Jesus Lord, need to be clear uh, about bringing other spiritually blind people to Jesus. I think it's often, I mean, there's you know, a fancy way of saying about sharing Jesus and um, evangelizing and whatever you want to call it there is no way that we as believers can be spiritually um, have spiritual eyesight see the magnificence of the glory of Jesus and not share it it is impossible for us to be exist in that tension and so I think the first Thing, first takeaway that I think is that's practical for us is for us to be the type of people that tell the spiritually blind about Jesus. Okay. I think this is, um, you know, as we kind of go into the summer, and you know, we're about uh, up and about, or most people would have been up and about if it wasn't for COVID, but you know, hopefully, you know, as people are up and about, um, I think this is a critical thing for us to keep in mind, right? Whether it's new neighbors moving in, workplaces, uh, friends, uh, daycare, whatever situations we find ourselves in, we need to take an uh, initiative to be able to tell people about the light that we've seen, the salvation that we've experienced, the joy that we have in Jesus. Okay? It doesn't have to be uh, um, a full, uh, full-on gospel presentation and you know a conversion right at all at the same moment. But at the very least, we need to be able to share with people what we have experienced in Jesus. That I think is the first 
thing uh, that I see from this passage. The second thing, I think, uh, as we look at that, uh, is that we see Jesus getting personal with this blind man. Okay? So there's these people that bring uh, this blind man to Jesus, and Jesus says, okay, let's, let's go outside the village. Right? Now, we don't know exactly. We can, we can um, kind of you know, look at the story and try and figure out why Jesus was doing it, but it almost seems like Jesus was wanting to be personal and up close with this man. Right? Oftentimes, I think we wonder how engaged our Savior is in our own lives. Right? Is He a distant Savior that we just need to pray and He will, uh, if He is happy with us, will provide for what we pray for? I think this story demonstrates that Jesus is ever-present. He is close to us. He meets us at the point of our need. He um, is not somebody that just heals or rescues, or is uh, available from a distance. He is ready to be in the midst of our circumstances. Whether that circumstances is good, bad, ugly, whatever it is, God and Jesus specifically is able to be with us um, and be present with us. He longs to be with us. He longs to be in communion with us. And um, this is something that we see even with this blind man. Okay, Jesus had multiple critical things to do, but he didn't, took the time to take this man, spent time with him, let him know that he is loved by God, uh, and is focused on his healing. Now, again, I think I reminded, uh, I like to remind myself when I find myself in difficult circumstances, whether it's a difficult day, difficult season of life, difficult, whatever, it, whatever circumstances I find myself in, I try to remind myself that Jesus is more interested in who I am becoming and in rescuing me from my circumstances. And it, it gives me a little bit of pause to not be so eager to get out of the situations that I'm in. Right? Because I am reminded that even though I am in this circumstance that I don't like it, I know that Jesus is with me right in the middle. Like the psalmist says in Psalm 20, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, He is with me. He is ever present. I think um, we we have to keep we have to remind ourselves that uh, that that's where Jesus is. He's not somewhere up in the sky, just waiting uh, and trying to keep track of what we're doing. But rather, he's a present uh, and close close of Savior. I think uh, as we one of the things one of one of the ways it helps us as we, as we see here is the way the man responds to Jesus. Right? And I think oftentimes if we're not careful, if we're so focused by what's going on around us and not paying attention to what God is doing in our lives, God is speaking to our lives, we can miss that God is pursuing us, that God longs to be in communion with us and He wants us to grow in our understanding of Him. He wants us to grow closer to Him. So my encouragement here and the thing that I'm taking away from here as I look at this is to continually make opportunities for you to spend time with Jesus. Let's reading your word, praying, being in community with other people, whether it's practicing the different spiritual disciplines like fasting uh, or solitude, whatever they may be, find ways for you to pay attention to what Jesus is teaching, what Jesus is showing, and what Jesus is uh, revealing. Because I think one of the things that we, uh, we see, um, and this is the third point that I see from the story, is that the, the healing process, at least in this story, is progressive. Right? 
how does the man appear with, uh, when he comes to Jesus? He's completely blind. Right? And Jesus prays for him, sits in his face and prays for him, and he's able to see. Dimly, but he's able to see. And then Jesus prays again, and then he's able to see clearly. One of the things I think we have to keep in mind is, even though we're committed believers and we read the Bible regularly or we are in community, there's oftentimes sin in our own lives, sin in our own lives that are maybe unconfessed, sin that we're not addressing, that might be hindrances to what God is speaking to us. We might not like God's uh, discipline or God's teaching, and we might find ways to justify it, excuse it, or find ways around it. I think it's important that we uh, lean into uh, Jesus, whether it's reading His Word, whether it's praying, that, so that God uh, regularly convicts us of these sins. God regularly points to us uh, that we are not um, people that have it all figured out just because we are saved, but that the healing process, God is interested and God is present and then God is healing us progressively as we work, as we walk with Him daily. That's why Jesus says, take up the cross and He talks about this even at the end of chapter 8, that we take up the cross daily, that we die to self daily because this journey of spiritual growth or maturity is progressive. Um, and sometimes this involves him taking away, taking us away from certain people, even people that might have brought us to Jesus. Right? Or it might have been taking us away from our families. Whatever the case may be, oftentimes Jesus has, has to uh, remove distractions from our lives so that we are paying attention to what we do. And I think that's important for us to keep uh, in mind here. Now, the last thing I think um, that we, um, or I, I guess two, two more things, two more things here. So, when um, there is a medical condition, and I can't remember the name now, but where um, a lot of times, as a blind person, you might be able to see see uh, light or uh, fuzzy objects, but you're not able to recognize what is it that you're seeing. Right, a lot of scholars says that might be what this man here is experiencing. I think that is a, that there is a spiritual aspect to that. A lot of times, as believers, we might be able to see and uh, see what God is teaching us. We hear regular sermons, we pray, we hear from community, but our minds and our hearts are not in tune to what the Spirit is speaking, and so we miss what God is showing us. We, we, we're, we're able to see, and that's why repeatedly Jesus asked the disciples, what did he ask them? Do you not have eyes to see? What Jesus is not asking, what Jesus is asking is not that are you able, not able to see, but he's asking, are you not able to perceive what is it that I'm showing you? What is it that I'm teaching you? What is it that I'm revealing to you? I think it's important, again, as spiritual, as people that are walking with Jesus for us to be in tune with what he's doing in our lives, to be pay attention uh, not just to see the different things and kind of just ignore it, but rather, what is it that God is showing me? What is it that God is revealing to me? What, who, does it, who, do, who is it that I need to reach out to? Who, does, who do I need to lean into? Who do I need to confess? What do I need to confess? Who do I need to forgive? I think this is important for us to keep in mind as we as believers walk uh, this journey with Jesus because it is, it is very easy for us to see but not to see. This is the fault that the disciples fell into. Now, one thing, uh, last thing that I want to mention, and I'll close for today, is that if you look at the Greek of how this um, sequence is 
laid out here by Mark, you see that the progression is pretty vivid, right? Like I mentioned, it goes from completely blind uh, to seeing, uh, seeing uh, somewhat clearly, but then seeing very clearly. And so we see uh, that the, the, the man is not able to just see the things that are close to him, which is Jesus, obviously, standing in front of him, but also able to see far. The Greek reveals this uh, progression that he's able to see not just near, but also far. And I think that uh, reminded me as I was kind of looking at this passage of Paul's words uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 12, where Paul writes, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. I think one of the good things, one of the hopes that we have as believers is that our eyes are going to be spiritually opened or progressively opened till we see Jesus face to face. And that is our hope as the church. Brothers and sisters, that brings joy to my heart. I'm not sure about you, but it brings a ton of joy to my heart to know that one day I don't have to, um, uh, I don't have to have different uh, ways of recognizing Jesus, but Jesus will be present face to face. Jesus will be present in person for us to look on and adore His face. And I think that is important for us to keep in mind as believers that a lot of times when we might, when you are studying Jesus, we have a lot of uh, biases and sins that kind of maybe prevent us from seeing Jesus clearly. It might be familial biases, cultural biases, emotional baggage, maybe church baggage, whatever they might be. They might prevent us from seeing Jesus clearly. But one day, there will be no mistake, we will see Him clearly. And us as believers, those that have called Him Lord and Savior, will know who we have lived for and be able to be in His presence uh, in person. I think church, let us, as we wait for that patiently and faithfully, let's continue uh, as we walk this journey to be faithful in what God's called us to do. That as we uh, continue to proclaim His goodness, that we continue to tell the spiritually blind among us about the goodness of Jesus and faithfully serve Him as we wait for Him. Amen? Let's pray.